Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to week four of Follow. I'm so excited to be able to have the opportunity to share with you this morning uh, from this series on following Jesus. As I was thinking about the theme of this series this week, it reminded me of a story that happened a number of years ago uh, to my wife, Joanna. She's given me permission to tell the story, just so you know, so please don't feel anxious about this. Uh, This was uh, early on in the era of smartphones. I don't know if you can even remember this era. Uh, Joanna and a friend of hers were out west of Fort Worth at an event, and they were driving back uh, to Capel, and she hadn't kind of made the switch to GPS on the phone yet and was still printing out directions from MapQuest. Anybody remember MapQuest.com back in the old ages? Uh, So uh, anyway, they were about to head back from this event and Joanna pulled her directions out and her friend who was with her said, hey, my phone has this cool new feature. You can just type in the address and it'll tell you turn by turn how to get back. It's amazing. And Joanna said, hey, that sounds great. We live at 228 Magnolia Drive. So her friend typed it in and they started driving. And about an hour later, when Joanna was thinking, you know, I really should be recognizing things. This is so strange that I don't recognize anything. She looked up and saw this. For those of you who are new to the area, Waxahachie is a town about 60 minutes south of here, south of uh, Fort Worth, and apparently there's also a 228 Magnolia Drive in Waxahachie. I actually looked it up on Google this week and the house is way nicer than ours. We may move. We may move to Waxahachie. So what's the moral of the story? If you're going to use a GPS to tell you where to go, make sure you type in the address correctly, right? And of course, the same is true uh, in life. If you're going to follow a person, you better make sure that they're going where you want to go. Because if you're going to follow them, you need to make sure that the place they're going to end up is where you want to end up. And that's why in this series, we're talking about following Jesus, because he is the right destination. He's the right one to follow. And so we're going to pay close attention to him through the gospel of Luke, trying to pay attention to where he goes and what he does so that we can follow him. Two weeks ago, we talked about following Jesus into Scripture. Last week, we talked about following Jesus into Sabbath. And this morning, we're talking about following Jesus into friendship. Friendship. I think this is an underappreciated aspect of Jesus' life. I don't know about you, but I don't often think about the fact that Jesus had friends. I mean, I think about him preaching to people, healing people, but I don't think too often about him hanging out with people. But Jesus had friends. He had a crew of 12 guys that he hung out with all the time. And, and there were three of those guys that he was particularly close to, Peter, James, and John, that were his closest, closest friends. I think that's cool to think about. Uh, and this morning, uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus interacted with these friends. And we're going to see what we can learn from his example about our friendships as well. The passage we're reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 5, Luke 5, beginning with verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. May God bless the reading of his word. So have you been watching basketball this weekend? Anybody else's bracket busted after yesterday? Anybody give in to the urge to just think that Baylor was going to be able to pull through? It's a great time of year for a basketball fan. There are 52 NCAA tournament games over the course of this week, and that's just on the men's side. On the women's side, there are another 52. So there are 104 basketball games this week, and every single one of them is televised. Isn't that crazy and amazing? It is an amazing week. Well, over the years, the technology they've used to televise these games has grown by leaps and bounds. And there's, there's one tool I haven't seen this week, but they, they use it sometimes at NBA games and NFL games. What they do is they put uh, cameras all around the arena, and then for the replays, they will stitch together all of the different shots so that you can see the same play from all the different angles. I have an example uh, that I want to show you here. This is from the Mavs uh, championship season. You can see J.J. Barea uh, passing it to Dirk. And when he is about to pass, they freeze the frame. And then they kind of swivel around so you can see the pass from all the different angles. Have you seen this? Have you seen this on TV? I love this. I love this tool. It gives you a different perspective. And you can kind of appreciate what's happening at a deeper level than just seeing it from one angle. Well, we're talking about following Jesus into friendship. And what I want to do with this morning's passage is that. I want to look at the story first from one angle, and then toward the end, I want to kind of swivel it around and look at the same story from a different perspective. So since we're talking about friendship, what we're going to do first is to look at the story from the perspective of Jesus's friends, Simon primarily today. And then we're going to swivel the story around and look at it from Jesus's perspective. So two different ways of looking at the story, friendship with Jesus and friendship like Jesus. Make sense? Friendship with Jesus, like Jesus. We're going to do with Jesus first. So let's recap the first part of the story. Jesus is out by the, the Sea of Galilee one morning teaching a group of people. And word gets out that he's, that he's teaching and more and more people start showing up to listen. And Jesus didn't have a microphone or a stage like this one, but he wanted everyone to be able to hear. So he did something I think is really cool. He saw a couple of boats by the shore and he decided to get in one of them and to push out a little way from, uh, from the edge. I think this was really smart because you may know that uh, sound reflects much more effectively off of water than it does off of the earth. And if you've ever stood on uh, a dock at a lake and thought, how can I hear that person all the way across the cove talking? That's what you're experiencing, that property of physics, that reflection off the water. And Jesus was taking advantage of this property of physics, which, you know, he created. Uh, so he, he, knew, he knew what he was doing. And uh, the boat he got into belonged to a guy named Simon. Now, you probably know Simon better by his nickname, Peter. Jesus gave him that nickname, Peter the Rock. Uh, but, but at this point, he was just Simon. But uh, Jesus and Simon definitely knew each other at this point. In fact, in the passage right before this, when Jesus had miraculously healed Simon's mother-in-law from a fever. And so this, this request wasn't totally out of the blue. I mean, Simon knew Jesus. He was, he was there. He'd been fishing all night. He was cleaning his nets, but he was listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus says, hey, can I use your boat, Simon? And Simon says, sure, of course. And so Jesus climbs in with Simon and he finishes the sermon. And then that's when things start to get a little bit strange. Jesus says, hey, Simon, go out a little deeper and throw your nets back into the water. 
Now, I know we, we read the gospel through, through eyes that know the end of the story, and we say, well, of course, you know, Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. But try to think about this from Simon's perspective for a minute. I mean, he was a professional fisherman. Chances are good that his father was a professional fisherman and his father's father was a professional fisherman. I mean, he knew what he was doing. And verse 5 tells us that he'd already been fishing all night and he hadn't caught anything. He'd already cleaned his nets. He's ready to go home and go to bed. And what's more, when you're fishing with nets like this, the morning is the absolute worst time to catch fish. You want to fish like this at nighttime when it's dark, when the fish can't see the boat, when they can't see the nets. But uh, in the morning when the sun is low and it's reflecting off the water and the whole surface of the water lights up, the fish can see a boat coming a mile away. So it would have been really easy, I think, at this point for, si for Simon to say, look, chief, <laughs> I, I like the sermon and all. That was great. I really appreciate you healing my mother-in-law. But tell you what, why don't you stick to preaching? I'll stick to fishing. But Simon didn't call Jesus chief. You see what he called him? He called him master. He called him Lord. And, and, and he didn't tell Jesus to stick to preaching. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I love this verse so much. I think it is so powerful. And it gives us our first main point about friendship with Jesus. And here it is. Jesus is the expert. Jesus is the expert. He's the master. He knows what he's doing. You know, when I'm having a problem with my car, I have one or two friends that I always call because they're experts in auto repair. And whatever problem I'm having, they can point me in the right direction. I have a couple of friends that I always call whenever I'm having trouble with technology because they know about computers and they can always tell me what I need to do to fix my problem. And it works both ways, you know? I mean, my friends, if they ever need information on how to dislocate your finger playing a virtual reality game, swatting at imaginary bunnies, they know who to call. I'm not bragging, but I am an expert in that. Simon's been around Jesus long enough to know that no matter what the subject is, Jesus is the expert. So when Jesus tells him to throw the nets that he's already cleaned back into the water at a time when everyone knows you're not going to catch any fish, what does Simon say? He responds with what I think is one of the most beautiful and powerful expressions of faith in the New Testament. He says, because you say so. Because you say so. Now I know this phrase sounds like a phrase that gets kind of a bad rap in our culture. It sounds kind of like something that parents say when they don't know what else to say. Anybody else ever use this phrase? Dad, why can't I go to that party? Say it with me, parents. Because I said so, right? <laughs> now that phrase gets a bad rap, but this phrase is different. This is not because I said so. It's because you say so. I think what Simon is saying is, look, nothing, nothing about what you're telling me to do makes any sense to me. I've been fishing a long, long time, and I can't possibly see how this would be the right decision. But I trust you on everything, even fishing. I believe you're the expert on all things. So I don't care what my experience tells me. I don't care what my training tells me. I don't even care about the fact that everybody on the shore is going to think that I've lost my mind. Because you say so, I'm going to do what you said. I think this is so powerful and it's been convicting to me this week just to think about this and I think this is a phrase that, that we could make uh, great use of in our prayer lives as followers of Jesus. Jesus, 
You want me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me? Are you kidding? No one does that. Everybody knows you're supposed to love your friends and hate your enemies. Or if you're particularly enlightened, maybe just avoid your enemies, but love them. But because you say so. Jesus, you want me to give generously to the needy? Everybody knows you're supposed to spend your money on things that make you happy or maybe save it to give you security. And if someone does guilt you into giving something, you got to at least let people know that you gave it so you can get some credit, right? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. But because you say so. Jesus, you really want me to go through life without worrying? Have you seen the news? Do you know what's happening in Ukraine? Have you seen the inflation rate? Do you know the kind of decisions my kids are making? How can I live without worry? But because you say so. Proverbs 3 says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And that's just what Simon was doing. He's trusting Jesus with all his heart. He knows Jesus is the expert, not just when it comes to theology, not just when it comes to preaching, but even when it comes to fishing, the thing that Simon knew the very most about. He believed that Jesus was the expert in all of life and he can be trusted in every situation. Because you say so. So Simon makes this grand declaration of faith and he throws his nets back in the water. And what happens? Look at verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Against all conventional wisdom, Simon says, okay, yes, I think you're the expert. And he, he, he does what Jesus says. And Jesus responds by doing something miraculous. At the worst possible time for fishing, Jesus fills the nets to overflowing. And now one thing we need to know is when Jesus does a miracle in the Gospels, the vast majority of the time, it's not just about the miracle. It's, it's making a statement about how things work in God's kingdom. And that is exactly true here. This is not just a trick uh, to impress the people around. Jesus is telling Peter something. He's telling Simon something about the way God's kingdom works. And it's something that we need to pay attention to. And here it is. In God's kingdom, success depends not on our methodology but on God's might. Not our methodology, but God's might. In God's kingdom, results are determined not by our strategy, but by his spirit. I love the way Zechariah 4.6 puts this. It says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus wanted to make a point for Simon that he would remember the rest of his life. He wanted to make the, the point that, that even when Simon Peter became the leader of the disciples, when he became a leader in the, in the church, he wanted him to understand that it wasn't going to be his wisdom, his experience, his training that was going to make the difference. It was going to be his connection with Jesus. And friends, this is so important for you and I to get as well. Yes, the Lord gave us our mind. Yes, he gave us uh, the experiences. And we should use everything he's given us. We should use everything he's given us to make the best decisions we can, to be the best parents we can, to be the best students we can, to be the best employees we can. But never forget, never forget, friends, the most important factor in kingdom fruitfulness is not how smart we are. It's not how experienced we are. It's how close we stay to Jesus. John 15, 5 is a verse that we've been talking about a lot in our Deeply Rooted series. And I think Jesus expresses this so beautifully here. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, not if you're really smart, not if you work really hard, not if you have lots of experience, but instead, if you remain in me and I in you, then what's the promise? What does he say? You will bear much fruit. 
if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. That fruitfulness is not contingent on our methodology or our strategy. It's contingent on our connection with Jesus. Jesus is the expert. All right, so after the miracle, uh, another interesting thing happens. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. As soon as Simon realizes what's happened, he suddenly becomes aware of his own sinfulness. When he sees just how powerful Jesus is, he realizes just how broken he is. When he sees just how holy Jesus is, he, he realizes just how sinful he is. And he is undone. So he, he falls to his knees and he says, leave me, Lord. Leave me, Lord. I'm too sinful. You don't even want to be near me. Trust me. You don't want to be around someone like me. And I think Jesus' response is so amazing, so beautiful. In verse 10, uh, Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you'll fish for people. I love this so much. Simon thinks because of his sin, he's too low to be in Jesus' presence. But Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. I know you're sinful. I know you're broken, but I'm not threatened by that. In fact, I'm going to lift you up out of the pit you're in, and I'm going to use you in my kingdom. Because Jesus isn't just the expert. He's also the elevator. The elevator. I know that sounds like a strange thing to compare Jesus to, but go with me for a minute. This is what, Simon, this is what Jesus does here. He elevates Simon. He lifts him up. I mean, Simon is literally on his knees before Jesus, overcome by his shame. But Jesus lifts him up, metaphorically speaking. He elevates him from fearful subject to beloved friend. And not only does, does uh, Jesus elevate Simon's status, he also, did you see, elevates his vision. He elevates what he's focusing on. Until now, Simon's main focus has been on catching enough fish to survive. But Jesus says, look up, Simon. Look higher. I have something much bigger for you. You're done catching fish. From now on, you're going to catch people for me. Simon thinks that his sinfulness has disqualified him from even being around Jesus, much less being used by him. But Jesus sees it totally differently. In Jesus' eyes, it's our recognition of our weakness that actually qualifies us for service in his kingdom. You get that? I love the way one of the commentators I read this week put it. He said, what Peter doesn't realize is that admitting your inability and sin is the best prerequisite for service because then you can depend on God. And then he says, Peter's confession becomes his resume for service. What a great phrase. His confession of his weakness is the lead item on his resume in the application for service in Jesus' kingdom. This is so important for us because when we come face to face with God, when we truly allow ourselves to see his holiness, our response is going to be the same as Simon. We're going to recognize our sinfulness, our weakness. And it's tempting to run away. It's tempting to do what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Do you remember when they realized their sin? They covered themselves and they hid. But Jesus doesn't want us to run from him. He wants us to run to him. Friend, Jesus is not threatened by your past. Jesus is not discouraged by your weakness because he sees you through eyes of love. He sees you through eyes of grace. He sees you through eyes of hope and of possibility. And if you'll let him, he will lift you. He will elevate you from the depths of despair to the joy of being used in his kingdom. 
All right, with the time that remains, uh, I want to spin the angle around like that uh, replay uh, of the Mavs a few minutes ago. I want to look at the story from a different perspective. I want to look, look at it not just for what we can learn about uh, friendship with Jesus, but what we can learn about doing friendship like Jesus. So let's look at this uh, story from Jesus' perspective for a minute. We said, remember, that following Jesus means to imitate, imitate him, to do the things he does. And so if Jesus invests in friendship, then we should invest in friendship. And I want to briefly point out two things about how Jesus does friendship. The first thing he does is he invites others in. He invites others in. Jesus clear, clear, clearly had a lot going on, right? He had a big ministry with a huge mission. And certainly he could have accomplished it all on his own, couldn't he? I mean, he was divine, right? He was the son of God. If, if he could feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, if he could raise the dead and heal the sick, do you really think he needed the boat? <laughs> I mean, he could have just used his divine power to make his voice loud enough for everyone to hear, right? Or even better, he could have just walked out on the water himself. That would have been a spectacle, right? But he didn't. Instead, he invited others in. In today's passage, he invited Simon and he, he chose to climb into Simon's boat with him and have Simon sit right beside him while he taught. And after the sermon, he could have just gone home to take a nap. But instead, he took that opportunity to invest directly in his relationship with Simon. And really, this was a pattern throughout Jesus' life. It's not an isolated incident here uh, in Luke 5. Jesus was constantly inviting others in. I love the way Mark 3 describes the calling of, of the disciples. It says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. What a beautiful phrase that is, by the way, those he wanted. And they came to him, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Jesus wanted his friends to be with him. You know, this continued all throughout his ministry. Think about the, the last night of his life, the night before he would be crucified, when he was in his darkest, darkest hour praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't go alone. He brought his friends with him, Peter, James, and John, to watch and to pray to support him. Jesus invited others in. And here's the thing. If Jesus thought it was important to invite others in, if he, the son of God, thought he needed the support and encouragement of others, how much more, how much more, friends, do you and I need it? Look, I get it. Friendship is hard. I, I promise you, I understand this. I struggle with this. Friendship requires time and energy, two things that seem to be in far too short a supply these days. I know that between keeping up with your job and your family and your bills and your house and everything else you got to take care of, it can be really tough to invest in friendships. But let me just encourage you, it's worth it. It's worth it. All the way there at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, uh, God makes this profound statement. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And all these millennia later, it's still true. It's still true. It's not good for us to be alone. We were created for community. We were created for friendship. So invest in friendship. Invite others in. Join a grow group. Invite someone over for dinner. It doesn't have to be on China. Paper plates is fine. It doesn't have to be something extravagant. In fact, I, I, love, I love the way Jesus did this. You know, most often what Jesus did was invite others into what he was already doing. I think that's a great model for us in friendship. Are you going to go for a walk? Invite someone to join you. Are you going to eat dinner? I think at our house we do that pretty much seven days a week. Are you going to eat dinner? Invite someone to join you. Are you going to eat blue ball ice cream? 
For the love of all that's holy, invite your executive pastor to have a bowl. As we follow Jesus into friendship, let's invite others in. Let's invite others in to where we're already going. There's one more friendship-related thing Jesus does in this passage that I want to point out before we close. Not only does he invite others in, he also lifts others up. He lifts others up. Let's put verse 10 on the screen again where Jesus tells Simon not to be afraid. We, we looked at it a minute ago from Simon's point of view, but I, I want to look at it again now from Jesus' perspective. Now, Jesus already knows that Simon is not perfect, right? But he doesn't let that stop him. He doesn't just see Simon where he is. He sees Simon where he will be. Catch that? He doesn't just see him as he is today. He sees him through eyes of grace, through eyes of possibility, through eyes of hope. And I think this is another great model for us in friendship because it's just so easy to get frustrated with people, isn't it? It's just so easy to be frustrated by the weaknesses of others. I I don't want to hang out with this person because they talk too much. I don't want to hang out with that person because they're too quiet. She's too passive. He's too aggressive. She's too liberal. He's too conservative. We can come up with all these reasons why we don't want to be with people. But aren't you grateful that Jesus doesn't do that with us? Aren't you grateful that Jesus doesn't let our annoying habits, our, our, our frustrating uh, practices keep us uh, from being his friends? Man, I'm so grateful. And we can learn so much from his example. What, what if? What if we quit obsessing about the things about others that annoyed us and just tried to love them? What if we quit focusing on the ways that we think they're wrong and we just started serving them? What if, what if in our friendships we quit focusing on what we need out of the relationship and just started focusing on encouraging someone else? What if we did what Jesus did in Simon? It didn't just see people for where they are now, but see them through uh, eyes of, of possibility, see their, their potential in the Lord. What if we saw them not for their own brokenness and weakness, but we saw their, their God-given potential and we dedicated ourselves to helping them achieve that God-given redemptive potential through our encouragement, through our friendship? Friends, that is a destination worth typing into your GPS. That kind of friendship is worth following. I'll close with an old story I've always loved. It's about a man who had two dreams. In the first dream, he saw a group of people gathered around a table, uh, and the table was covered with the most amazing food you've ever seen. It looked amazing. It smelled amazing. But the people around the table were just skin and bones. They were emaciated, obviously starving. And as he got closer to the table, he saw that each person at the table uh, had these immovable splints on both arms. And so they would, they would fill their fork with, with food, but they could never reach their mouth. And so they were in torment. In the second dream, uh, he also saw a group of people gathered around a table. And this table also was filled with this amazing food. It smelled so good. Uh, but this time the people were not skin and bones. They were well fed. They were laughing. They were talking. They were, they were joyful. As he got closer, he saw that they also had these same immovable splints on their arms and they also would fill their forks, but instead of trying and failing to feed themselves, they would fill their fork and feed their neighbor. And in that way, all were fed. Church, Jesus, by his grace, has called us his friends. He has forgiven us. He has redeemed us. He has lifted us up. And now as we follow him, may we invite others in. May we lift others up as we passionately follow Jesus 
together. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this story. Thank you for this example that echoes throughout uh, the, the centuries. That first of all, we can be your friends, not because we deserve it, but because you love us, because of your grace. And then secondly, that we can follow you in every aspect of our lives. We can trust you in every part of our lives, including our relationships, including our friendships. And so, Lord, today I pray uh, that for each person here, we would, we would step into our friendship with you and we would extend that friendship to others by the grace of Christ, we pray. Amen.